Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture story. Well, hello, listeners. We're back for another episode of the Global Marketing Podcast. And it's so fun when you get to interview somebody that you really like. And that's me today. I would like to welcome Rob Halverson, um, who we connected a year or two years ago, I don't know, through a mutual connection. I've just had nice conversations along the way. He is a scrappy and extremely successful sales director who's now working at Quinn Global. Um, and he had 27 years of experience at Snap-on Tools where they had an international uh, business all over the place. So it's going to be real interesting to hear his take on that. Welcome, Rob. It's great to have you here. Yeah, good morning, Wendy. Glad to be here. Yeah. So Snap-on Tools, what's your favorite tool? My favorite tool, uh, well, they had some fantastic wrenches that were second to none. So that was, uh, I'd have to go with that for now. Go with a wrench. Okay. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I got a, a, an electric drill about 10 years ago. <laughs> I had so much fun hanging things with it. I don't have as much use for it anymore after I did all the projects, but it sure was handy. <laughs> well, they, they have so many good products, it's hard to just single one out. Right, right. So um, you're working at Quinn Global now. Why don't you take me back to when we first talked us, when you started there and you saw the, uh, an opportunity for some global stuff. Tell me what, what's happened since you came on and what's the company doing? Well, uh, we're actually, we're really blessed. We're doing well. Um, I had had an opportunity uh, presented to me of a, a small family-owned company that has uh, – rights, uh, for lack of a better term, inside of the Quinn Global family um, to the Americas, North America, South America, Central America, and they had barely really uh, penetrated the United States, much less anywhere else. So I was able to uh, build a team, and, and we're still building, obviously, but uh, and help with processes, put together programs from expenses to travel programs and the whole nine yards. And it's, it's really been a lot of fun. We've uh, grown 82% in two and a half years. So, <laughs> Good for fun, you. Fun piece. Yeah. Yeah, and you went from zero to seven salespeople, right? Uh, just about yeah. went one to 11. One to 11, 11, yes, wow. That's some severe hiring. So when you also came in, you said, okay, we barely penetrated the U.S. We're going to build this out. But you started thinking global very early on, which I love because it's a good way to think about it. Tell me about how, how, where your mind goes for that. Well, uh, you know, to start off with, the whole thought process is kind of I likened to driving a race car. You're looking down the road, um, you know, a quarter mile or, or so. You're not looking at the end of your bumper. Um, so same thing in business. I get it. It's where do you want to be in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years? What, uh, my legacy, uh, how do I want to leave that? How do I prep the next person in line to take my place? I mean, this is all different things you try to, uh, put into your mind. Um, the owners of the company wanted to grow exponentially. 
Um, and I saw the greatest opportunity really expanding outside of the United States because there's plenty of need for our product, um, but no presence. Um, and I, I just see just tons of opportunity. So that was really uh, the long and short of it. Yeah, which I think is so great because, you know, if you want to grow exponentially, there's so much research that shows companies that are international have higher revenues, they have higher profits, they have more stability because they're balancing out risk, they're protecting their home market by building brand awareness, and they, they pay higher salaries. So did you have, um, was that from Snap-on Tools, or what was your first experience in anything international or global? Well, Snap-on Tools obviously is uh, a tremendous successful example of working internationally. They're in just about every country you can think of and each footprint, I mean, you have to think pragmatically um, when you put those together. It's not the same, say, in Sweden as it's going to be in the United States or Australia or any of those things. Um, but they're, they're a great example. So I was lucky enough to be with a good company for many years and I just tried to pay attention. Um, to what was going on. Um, I didn't do a ton of travel personally. I went into Canada and was involved. I heard about other things and there was some offers that were considered, but um, I was exposed to a lot of people from different countries who had come in, into the United States. And it, it, was, uh, it was really um, mind-opening. I mean, you really, uh, you have some neat examples to go with. Okay, now you grew up in Nebraska, right? No, ma'am. I grew up in California, the Bay Area. Oh, um, I didn't realize that. I lived out there for 10 years. <laughs> where did you grow up? Uh, well, I don't know if I ever grew up, but where I lived a lot <laughs> when I was young was right down in the Bay Area. I lived in San Jose, Los Gatos, that area. Um, yeah. I was born in Southern California in Pasadena. Um, and I lived in Nevada. Uh, I moved three times or four times, actually, for Snap-on Tools. Went to Sacramento, California, Sacramento to Reno, Nevada, Reno, Nevada to Denver, Colorado, Denver, Colorado to Omaha, Nebraska, where um, we really sank some roots and stayed. Okay, that's how I was trying to figure out how you got to Nebraska. So that's what it was, a snap-on tools. And so the reason I was asking where you grew up is I was trying to figure out when you were younger, did you have any international exposure all or mostly American in your first real exposure to international was at Snap-on Tools? No, very little. My father was Navy when I was a, uh, a, a child. We lived in Hawaii for a while. He was a submariner and went back and forth to Guam and uh, went on patrol three months out of the year. So I got to hear a lot of different stories at different places, but I never really got to experience them. Okay, so there was a little bit of openness of hearing the stories and thinking, yeah, oh, that sounds pretty cool. It's been exciting all along. It's something uh, my son does digital marketing and stuff for a company here locally, and uh, him and his wife are, are very interested. I, uh, they're not afraid to travel anywhere. So. Yeah. Yeah, fun. that's a, a different thing with millennials. I think with the internet and then the access to international travel, which is that just that that generation just yeah. thinks more global. They yeah. think more technology and they think more global, which is, is so fascinating. And that's why we're seeing a lot of global market opens up. Okay, so you go start working for Snap-on and you're handling the North American sales, but it's an international company. So you've got sales meeting with people coming in from all over the place. And you were starting to say it was real eye-opening. So tell me a little bit more about that. Uh 
at Snap on Tools? Is that what you're yeah, your your international experience meeting people from other countries? Yeah, well, they just, they just came in uh, from other places, so attitudes were a little different. You had to get used to different oh, ways of talking. Um, some words mean slightly different things coming from different places. Some things would be very proper. I had a regional manager I worked with who was from the UK, and that was uh, he had a, a very proper English, very large vocabulary. And so it took a little bit to get all used to that, but it's, you, you learn from everybody you work with. He was a very, very intelligent person, or is a very intelligent person. Um, I met uh, another lady from Portugal, um, uh, some from Spain, uh, from many different places. Uh, we had conventions where uh, Japanese and Chinese um, associates would come in. And a little hard to communicate when you don't speak the language, but everybody was wonderful, real friendly, and there was a lot of smiling and grinning, you know, <laughs> good stuff. Smile's the only internationally recognized gesture. Yeah. All the other hand gestures can mean different things in other places, so smile can get you far. So how did you handle the language issues when you were talking to people? Oh, just that. I just tried to be a good listener. In some cases, we look for an interpreter, you know, that could help us and get through. Um, it's it's limited things without an interpreter, um, but uh, it, like you said, I just try to be very friendly and smile because you never you never know what's what's ahead. And being friendly is free, so that's pretty easy thing to do. Right. So you'd have these big conventions, and you've got people in from all over the world. Um, did you have interpreters that were helping facilitate the conversations? Not often. Most of the people I met, since I didn't have an official duty meeting somebody from another country, um, it was more freelance. You know, I just went out of my way to meet different people and talk to them. So I'm sure for the, uh, more, oh, anybody with an official reason or was assigned to work with a particular group, they did have interpreters. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, so for Snap-on Tools, you didn't have to speak English to work for the company. They really did have regional people that spoke the language, and then they would help facilitate the conversation. Yeah, and I was more regional at that time. I, I didn't handle the entire North America. I do that now, but at that time, I was assigned geographic areas. It could have been anything as small as uh, a few states to, you know, many states. Right. And so this is why I think you're so fascinating and why I wanted you on the podcast, because you didn't grow up doing international business or living internationally. But, you know, I'm starting to see you had something that opened your eyes to it. Then you go to a company that's international and you you kept your eyes and your ears open. So as soon as you go to Queen Global, you say, you want to grow this fast? We need to go global. And so I'm trying to get at the heart of that as to what you learned at Snap-on Tools is why you bring this in. Because so many companies in the U.S. Um, don't think global and less than 1% export. So what is that thing that you have where your, your blinders are off and you know what the potential is? Uh, I, I don't think I'm anything special. It's just a matter of seeing the opportunity when it was described to me what their footprint was, what they had rights to, so to speak. Um, Quinn Global has three entities, okay? Uh, one of them is in Europe, another one's in Australia, and uh, from those points, we've kind of divided the world up into three sections. The section we're assigned to here at Quinn at uh, the U.S. version or, or 
Quinn Global Americas is the Americas. It's North America, South America, Central America. And so um, through the interview process, which was probably, I don't know, four or five different interviews is before I came aboard, um, I asked a lot of questions. Where are you at now? Where are you selling to? How many, what's your footprint overall? Uh, what are your, uh, how many salespeople uh, do you have? What is your model to sell? Um, I'm used to selling to, through franchise system and, and Snap-on tools. They sell through a distributor system here um, and some directly the end user where we don't have distributors. So it's a multi-pronged sales approach. Um, so just being in sales most of my life, you know, 27 years from Snap-on alone, I, I was lucky enough to be around a lot of pretty smart people. And so I stole as many ideas as I possibly could. <laughs> You call them your own, you know, so I'm, I don't, uh, don't claim to be brilliant. Just I've been around some brilliant people. Um, and that, that's, that's really about it. I, then it gave my vision back to the owners of what I thought could be done. And um, they uh, hired me and uh, the rest is now putting it all together, right? You know, you start from a framework and the very base with the idea of handling these large geographic areas. So then we have to bring the, the revenues up to match the vision. So you mm -hmm. can go to the next level, right? To, to bring more people on. Um, our, our, probably our next expansion will be looking to uh, put one to two people into Canada. Um, we'll have some salespeople down in Mexico now. In fact, I'll be working with your team. I, I just got stuff back from the attorney and all that on translation and label requirements, chemical SDSs, all that kind of stuff from Mexico. So I, I'm getting a pretty good idea of what I need to do. Now everything that goes into Mexico has to have Spanish labels. Mm -hmm. has to. Um, so that includes, since we're a chemical company, the SDSs and, and so on, the collateral. Right. And you know, going into Canada, you need to have bilingual packaging too with English French. In Quebec. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Through all Canada, but in the Quebec section, definitely. Yeah. It's just easy to do a dual label, I think, and just make that throughout the country. Right, right. Okay, so then Quinn Global has the, they were only talking to you about coming in and running the Americas, but you already have Europe and Asia. So they're, it sounds like they're very different entities. Like you don't overlap with them much right now? Oh, no, I just talked to them yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, we're working on a, a website a new website. Our other one is unfortunately a little on the outdated side. Um, but this one, it's looking pretty fun. Just you have to uh, coordinate that through some very different um, attitudes and thoughts and thought processes and so on. Um, we have uh, the person who does what I do, or maybe at a high level in UK, United Kingdom, is actually from Scotland. So I have to slow down a little bit and listen, you know, um, he's a very smart guy, but uh, it, when he talks fast, I, I almost need an interpreter, even though he's speaking English, right? <laughs> um, but it's, it's a wonderful experience. It's really, really great. Um, we have a course from the United Kingdom and then in Australia um, and working into India and some other places. Um, it's amazingly, uh, it's a great experience. So really who's great. heading up the project? If you've got the three, areas of the world and now you're coming together for one website who heads that up uh most of the united kingdom is is driving it but we get on to meetings 
and uh, we put our two cents worth in mm-hmm. you know, at that point and we discuss it. We're just getting to the point now where I'm just getting ready to start loading content. I have a young lady who's going to help me here in a, another uh, marketing company since we don't have a big marketing staff here in the U.S. Um, called Simple Strat. That's Ellie Schwanke. She's doing a real nice job for us. Yeah. Um, she's going to help great. us. Get yeah. Yeah. So she's going to be loading a lot of that content, uh, photographs, you know, pics, all that kind of stuff up. Um, so we're going to go from product to uh, all the collaterals, videos, all that, work our way down eventually into blogs. And that'll be something we'll keep up on a regular basis. And so the con- like, have you come together and done the global strategy and the messaging and buyer personas and differentiators and all that to- for your global website? Yeah, we have actually, we're going to have two websites. Okay. One is our brands, which is real product specific. So if a customer wanted to go out and look at a particular product, because the products are slightly different country to country because there's different chemical requirements and things like that. It's, it's uh, so a, even though, uh, for instance, one product will have the same part number in the United Kingdom, we would have a different formulation here for that same product. So we have to keep them separate, right? So if okay. somebody logs in from uh, anywhere in the United States or South America, they would go to our site rather than go to the United Kingdom site, even though they're connected. You know, it's just like three doors, right, to one mm-hmm. site. Um, that way it doesn't get confusing to the customers or the end users. So to answer your question, yes, uh, the one site, which is the Tenzer sites or House of Brands is uh, more product specific. Now Quinn Global itself is, uh, that one's just being developed right now. In fact, I have a meeting on that next week um, so we can get everybody on the same page on that. And that's more of a window into the company, who we are, where we came from, and what we're looking to do. And then it would, so that would be one site that then it would break down again to three separate sites. You can find out a little more about Quinn Asia, Quinn Europe, or, you know, ourself. Okay. Okay. Wow. And so then does Tenzor and Quinn Global, do those websites push each other back and forth? I, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a link, linking one to the other. Okay. All right. That's, you know, it's so different to hear about how people are pulling together their website to match their business unit and their strategic goals for international expansion. And uh, the next trick would be, uh, you know, if somebody's uh, interested in us from South America or uh, Quebec and they want to interact, uh, we can't force them to learn English to interact with us. So we're going to have to, you know, be forward thinking in that. Right. So there's a lot of different ways to do that. There is um, multilingual chat where you actually can outsource your chat. If you have enough inquiries that you'd want a full-time person there, you know, you can set them up for certain hours. You could subcontract that out just like you would to a call center. So we, we offer services in that area. There's telephone interpreting, which a lot of call centers do. So, you know, if you get somebody on, you just, you know, have something that says, un momento or un moment, and then they dial in and get an interpreter within 20 seconds on the line so they can facilitate that conversation. And then there's hiring people. 
So there are all different ways and it really comes down to how much of a need do you think you'd have and what kinds of conversations will you be having? Yeah. You and I are going to get to learn a little bit of that together. It's <laughs> some of our unknowns, right? So. Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm always happy to help brainstorm what is the best way. That's why I thought I'd, I'd give you some suggestions there. And it's also interesting, I mean, we did a translation for a website of a um, packaging company that um, was very interesting because they sold different products around the world. So they had a, you know, big spreadsheet, which where with the countries down one side, or across the top, I guess, and then the products, you know, down listed down and then they'd put x's in which countries sold which products so they knew where to link and what to translate mm -hmm. for each of the websites yeah, so, that makes a lot of sense. yeah so it gave them more of a because they had this uh, you know they had a lot of each each country had their own website but there wasn't a global brand around it there was no cohesive management to it um, so it was a big project for them, but now they've got a cohesive site and they know if they do a blog on a certain thing, which, what should be translated for what countries. So how, so you, we were talking before on that, if somebody logs in from, you know, a, say they log in from Mexico, how mm -hmm. would they navigate to the Spanish website? That hasn't been decided yet, but we will. We'll have to have that set up. It yeah. hasn't been. Yep. Same thing from, see, right now, that's a very small part of our business. Mm -hmm. But intentions are to make it a very big part of the business. Uh, the population in Mexico definitely supports putting some effort in, you know, into that. Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing in Canada. You know, up in Quebec. Okay, and so with the other countries and languages, you had mentioned something about um, that it would be directed by IP. So wherever the person searched from, it would bring yeah. them to the, the page. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, talk to me about how you decided to do that. Well, that was really uh, the reason, the primary reason for that was you know, the United Kingdom group, which is covering most of Europe. Um, they're handling, uh, they're quite a bit better than we are here in the U.S. about handling different languages and different cultures because they handle all the, the countries are much smaller geographically, right? You know, mm -hmm. Germany and France and Spain already and Portugal, all these different places. So their um, different languages is something they've been handling for a period of time. Where here, we've been fairly lucky uh, to be able to just focus on things in English for the most part. Now, as we're expanding, we're seeing the need, if we want to expand, you know, we got to cater to, you know, different cultures, different people, different languages. Right. Um, people are going to buy from uh, companies that they're comfortable with, comfortable right. dealing. So that's, uh, that's really where that's going. The IP piece uh, was basically, if you're located in the United States or Central America, any of those places, you'll be directed to the proper site. So you'd be able, you'd have access to the proper um, materials, the proper, uh, you know, chemicals, adhesives, all that kind of stuff. Now, as we move forward, it may be you'll get the right language, you know, or the most common language for that area. Um, if we get into South South America, you know, we, we're really going to have to look at uh, Portuguese. It's going to be something that we're going to have to consider. Right now, it'd be Spanish and French would be the, probably the two first ones we'd have to look at. 
Yeah, you're bringing up a really interesting question here is, uh, you know, I have a reaction to the IP address only guiding users to a certain site because say I move over to Germany and live, but English is my primary language and I don't speak German. I speak some Spanish, French and Italian, but not German. And mm -hmm. so um, if I type in Tensor or Queen Global and I'm in Germany, it would take me to the German site and I wouldn't be able to read it. So I'd have to click away from it. So I normally tell companies, make sure you put the globe at the top of the website so somebody can navigate. Now you've got an interesting thing that say I navigate to the English website. Well, you could have English UK and English US. Mm -hmm. um, if your products are the same in Canada, it could be US and Canada. So you could do it like that. But then I'm in Germany, so I may not be able to buy the products that I want in Germany from an English language. Yeah, I'll, I'll share with you that when I see what they do with the site, um, they do have, uh, I think, chats where, excuse me, they have different employees or people they have hired to communicate where somebody, if they went on a chat line and was talking to them, they could message them. I don't know if they have, if they're planning on putting like a button where you could choose your language. I don't know. Um, so we'll see all that. Um, and that'll be one of my future questions for our areas moving forward as well, is how do yeah. we handle it might be helpful to do a grid as to looking at what products are the same across what countries. So then if, you know, and, and then you'd have to, you've got to make sure to take them through the buyer's journey to make sure they, they're buying There's something. Legal. We're not going to do that, Wendy. Um, I, I don't want to get in the weeds on too much on that, but we're going to keep the three entities fairly separate and the products we sell um, because there's too many differences. And even, even the paperwork you would get for a particular deal because of country's requirements or restrictions, um, we don't, um, UK does not ship here and vice versa. There's always differences of some sort. Even the SDS, the safety data sheet is different, right? Right, so do, is it the same in all of the UK? I mean, in all of Europe? I, I can't answer that. I don't yeah. work that okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a very interesting thing. I hadn't heard about it before, but I, you know, it's as to how you run the buyer through the nav the the process has to be well thought out. And it sounds like you're you're working on that, and that's why that you you have decided to have the three different websites for the parts of the world because that's where they specialize in what information Correct. has to go out. Yeah, Correct. yeah. Okay, so that makes sense to me. Usually, I'm like, ooh, I might want to coordinate that from um, from headquarters or one place before me. Um, uh, UK is uh, the largest of the of the uh, three entities, and so they're very used to handling uh, different languages. But there's some places like Russia and a few other places that they are selling into. That they're just now learning about some of the languages. It's a it's a never-ending process. Oh, it completely is with global marketing. I mean, that's what makes it so fun. <laughs> so. What do you think the biggest mistakes are that you saw at Snap-on or you might see at Global or you, you know, could project out for other companies that are trying to do global marketing and global sales? Uh, not investing uh, in smart marketing. Uh, usually will pay tenfold 
Snap-on was, an, was a uh, very interesting model because it had been around for so long and it had such a, a, a excellent reputation for quality, for different things. They had built that brand over many, many, many years. A younger company such as Quinn Global, um, which has been around uh, the, the global part of it since 2008, the U.S. presence here about 1979, um, is a fledgling in comparison. Mm-hmm. So to build the brand, get people to know who it is, was somewhat of a, oh, how do I say, almost a household term. You know, it's, it's known by most people. That's uh, an investment that needs to be made. Um, I, I would say that would be the big, biggest one. Um, distribution networks, not setting a distribution network up properly um, is an issue. Not focusing on quality. Uh, we'll definitely, you'll be a short-termer. You, it's mm. really hard to grow if things are failing, right? But um, that's probably some of the big three right there. And, and quite honestly, uh, people. Getting the right people in the right place with the right attitude. They have to fit your culture, your company culture. If, you're, if you, culture sometimes will eat talent for, for breakfast. Um, so if you have good folks that will try hard, everybody's pulling the rope the same way. Um, you can overcome a lot of obstacles um, as opposed to a bunch of hot shots who have different ideas. That's usually pretty short lived. Okay. Right. What would you say the culture is where at Quinn Global? Oh, that, that's an interesting question. Actually um, a very collaborative culture. It's very friendly. Um, we have a lot of hardworking people here. Uh, we recently uh, put together a rally cry. We're, uh, basically, we're aspiring to be um, your favorite or best supplier. And with that being said, uh, everyone in the organization knows what their role is to get to that goal. And we talk about that every week. Uh, every one of my sales meetings, somebody brings up what it means to them, what their role is to get to that point, you know, what value they bring toward that aspiration. Oh, that is so cool. Right. And then when you off the top of your head said we're collaborative, friendly, hardworking, that all feeds into being the favorite or best supplier. Yep. Yep. Doesn't matter whose idea it is. If we have a good one, we share it. Doesn't matter who gets the credit. That's how I really should say that. Right. Right. And so that really brings in the teamwork and collaborative and gives you something to rally around, which will work global too. Because sometimes people have had, you know, they've picked words to be kind of rally behind and they don't translate well or they don't work globally. So that's very exciting. Okay. So the mistakes or costs of inefficiencies, what would some of the things, particularly in international sales, you'd suggest watching out for? Or are you kind of afraid of making mistakes when you start hiring in South um, Central America? Uh, first of all, you know, because of the type of things we sell, uh, which are commercial adhesives, um, we got to know all the, the ins and outs, what's legal, what's not, uh, what things are allowed there. I mean, you can't just blunder through it and start selling things. You need the shipping regulations, um, setting up accounts properly, all that kind of thing. But quite honestly, good reputation or representation, excuse me, in that country or that area, I think is key. Having somebody who uh, lives and breathes our company culture, but understands the culture that we're 
looking to do business in so we can blend in in a, in a way that brings value to the customer. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that uh, before is that company culture and country culture. Are you, you talked earlier about using distributors or oh, I think you said that um, Snap-on Tools was a franchiser and distributors. What's the model that you're going to use? Well, here it's countries? primarily, we want to be, we are a manufacturer and I have uh, what we call sales consultants who go out and work with the distributors directly to help them sell the product, teach them about the product. Um, and, and we're always looking for good distributors that represent uh, us in the way we wish to be represented. Mm -hmm. And then in places that we don't have uh, distributors, we're selling to the end users, typically larger end users, and we ship to them direct. And that's just part of the building process. Ultimately, we want to sell almost exclusively through distributors. How do you find good distributors in a country? Uh, interesting. Um, I give away all my tricks here. Ah, um, sure you but, can. Because <laughs> there's people from all different industries listen to this who are wondering the same things. Um, one of the things we built when we first got going, so I got a, a tremendous insight team. Um, and they're really good at digging up information, making calls, uh, searches. Um, it's been, uh, you'd be amazed at what we've been able to accomplish with tools that are available to just about everyone. Google searches themselves. There's so many things you can find uh, through that, at least get you on the path. And then we use everything that we do goes into a CRM. So it's all logged. We know where each other was. If I get run over by a bus tomorrow, somebody can step right in. They know just what I was doing and they can move forward with that. Is they that keep... HubSpot you're using? Pardon me? Which CRM are you using? Oh, uh, we have NetSuite is what we're actually using. NetSuite. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and some things it's wonderful for some things uh, we're still learning and mm -hmm. it, it's almost like, um, it's like anything else. It's a continual process. Right. Okay. So Google searches, CRM holds all the conversations, and then how do you screen them? How do I screen them? Can you distributors. More yeah. So you, you find distributors, you open up conversations with them, you keep records of that, and then how do you make a decision whether they'd be good or not? Well, typically we want to know what their reach is, uh, where they're located, what their reach is, what's their common what type of things are they actually selling now? Do they have any uh, experience with adhesives? Um, so there's an interview process and an application process. We're also making sure that um, financially they could support that. Are they willing to uh, keep inventory? Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different pieces. We have um, some distributors, uh, we do a lot with private label. And some of those are, uh, we've made special arrangements with them as far as drop shipping. They'll have, of course, their own private labels and so on. It just, we have to look at each one and see if it fits the mode or overall plan of what mm -hmm. we want. So it's rather than just throwing a dart at the map, we know where we want to expand and we put our focus into that area, try to do a good job, get it set up and look at another area. Well, we, you know, it's like spinning plates. You, know, you got to <laughs> keep one spinning when you go put another plate up. So that's, it's a continual process.
Okay. Now, um, I, I, you know, I don't know what the revenues are of Quinn Global, but there are resources through the Commerce Department, the federal government, and the state government that can help you source distributors from other countries. So okay. they can give you leads and introductions. Um, and it's, they do a lot of help with small and mid-sized businesses who tend to have less resources or just going international. And the reason they do this is because less than 1% of U.S. companies export, and it helps our balance of trade. So I am connected into the uh, people in Nebraska um, and all the other states. So if you're listening and you want to know how to get in touch with, you know, I can certainly connect and I can share that with you afterwards, Rob, if you're interested in that. Definitely. Okay. I am not an ideologue. I will take help in a heartbeat. <laughs> Does that go, that go back to your, your scrappy reputation? <laughs> Just getting it done? The best ideas I've ever had were never mine. They were always somebody else's. <laughs> oh, yeah, I find that hard to believe with the success you've had. I think you've had one or two good ideas along the way. Well, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. So. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I'll make a note to connect you into the Nebraska um, export um, community so uh, you can build connections there. Another um, helpful thing might be Soft Land Partners. It's an organization that has um, meetups. Net right now it's virtual, so it's very helpful in cities all over the world. And, you know, you can go and meet people there and there's very well connected people. There's incubators, there's people from the global, global trade associations from different cities. Um, and so that's a way to start making a network in each of the, yeah, okay. so it's softlandpartners.com. Like, you know, we're going to have a soft landing when we enter the country. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to, um, hear about distributors and how people choose them because I've heard of all sorts of things with people having bad luck with them. And I think what you touched on is, you know, do they sell other products like ours? Do they have the finances to be able to do it? And you said, do they hold inventory? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so they're, they're the direct seller then. Yes, that would be correct. That so, would be correct. We, we're a, uh, you know, we, we have roughly about between 30 and 35 people, at this facility we'll have here in Omaha, Nebraska. It's about a 30,000 square foot building, brand new by the way, it's a beautiful facility. Anybody who would like to come and visit us, I'd welcome them, give them a tour. Um, but uh, we can only, 30 people can only get to so many people, right? Or end users or customers. Mm -hmm. So we need distributors, of course, to multiply our reach, you know? Um, and that's really what we look for is how, how many salespeople do they have? What's the geographic area they take care uh, they take care of? And of course, what's their experience level? What have they done in the past? What's their desire? What are they willing to invest into uh, moving moving forward with our product? And do you provide them all the marketing materials that they need? Yes, yes. So okay. we have, give them with technical data sheets. Um, if they uh, need flyers. Um, I mean, we can help them with things like that. We'll actually send a rep out in many cases to work, work with them for training sessions, uh, you know, we'll, like lunch and learns and different things like that for the end users. So we try to give them as much support as they need. Okay. And then do they end up buying the inventory that they keep or when they sell their summer payment arrangement, like does the payment go through the distributor or through you guys? Typically, um, 
again, uh, we're willing to look at different situations, but typically uh, it's not a consigned inventory. They're purchasing it. And we usually are very kind to them to set them up. You know, we'll give them best price scenarios to get them their starting inventory and get them going. Um, uh -huh. And we give them, you know, guaranteed buybacks. You know, so if we set them up with something and it's they're struggling with it, we'll either get them training to help them sell through it or we'll take it back and exchange it for something else. Okay. So you have a very tight relationship with, with all your distributors. When you bring them on, it's a tight relationship. And so that's why you've gone from one to 11 salespeople is because you really need to be connected in with those distributors. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart rather than just throwing it over to them. I, I hear about some people going international with distributors and they like give them information, but then they let them run with the translation, the marketing material, um, and don't have much control or don't give much support. And then they wonder why it's not working. So I think you've got a good model set up to, you know, really bring them along and partner up with them. Yeah. What, what we're trying to do, some of it harkens back to uh, previous days for me is you start out doing a lot of it yourself. When you first come in, you have one salesperson. Uh, somebody's got to get it done, right? Right. So I'm traveling every day of the week. I'm meeting new distributors. I'm going through all that. Then as I'm bringing people aboard as uh, sales consultants, you know, my sales team, I want them to replicate what I was doing and hopefully even do it better, right? Right. So they have, I want to make sure they have the same attitude. They're looking for the same type of things. This is what we strongly believe as a company and the support we give our distributors. You know, so it, we're all saying the same language. That's the idea behind it. It needs to be a, a process that can be replicated again and again and again. Ah, that's what makes you so successful. You can really create that process where we continually work on that in our sales department right here. Our operation is very process driven. And so we're trying to bring that over to, uh, to our sales. So I could probably learn a ton from you on that. So you were talking about when you go into other countries, so we talked about the distributor area, but you brought up another, a, a bunch of other good areas that you were thinking about, like the legal knowledge, the shipping, how do you set up accounts and payments? How do you go about researching that? How are you going to do that when you need to set that up? That's in the a little I, I'm learning some since I don't have a deep background globally. Um, I have more the desire to be there than I do the overall experience. So right now I'm working in, in Mexico per se. I'm working with our corporate attorney. Um, I wanted to do all the right research on the safety data sheets, what's required on the labeling legally to get it in, what are the responsibilities on, let's say somebody's doing a private label, it's going into Mexico, and they say, hey, I only want this on the label. Well, who's responsible for what? I mean, there's a lot of legalities. You've got to be really careful. On stuff right. Like I mean, I certainly don't want the, the Petersons own this organization um, and they were nice enough to give me an opportunity here. I certainly don't want to put them in any jeopardy, right? Right. So I do all the legal background on that and then I'm looking at it financially, what's it going to take for me to have a rep down there? What's the travel in there to go into that particular area? I mean, there's a lot of things to consider. So I'm, I got spreadsheets and all that. And I try to put down all the pros and cons and a lot of it's pretty old school, right? The same stuff you would have done at home when you were trying to maybe pick out a college or something like that. <laughs> Not a lot different. 
Okay, so you do a pro-con. You look at the potential of the market, pro-con it out, look at the financial costs to it, and then do all the legal research. Yeah, yeah, risk and reward. Risk and reward. Okay, and so how do you get the information? I know you talked about, you know, our expert Google, um, who's not an expert on translation, I'll just say that, but <laughs> on finding other stuff. No, I don't use it for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you do or you don't? Do not. No. Do not. No. Okay. You are a very wise global marketer then. <laughs> there can be some real uh, food paws that come out of that. Uh, and I'm not knocking Google, but that's not the strength I, I would, I would say. Um, uh, like I don't have this down and I'm not going to uh, pretend that I do, but. Uh, you were so modest. You were so crazy modest. <laughs> I, Strike me as, as scrappy. Um, what I will say is I don't give up. If I don't know something, I'm not getting the information I like. I keep pushing. I'll work through it. Sometimes before you jump in the pool, you stick your toes in a little bit. I might do a little of that just to learn a little more because I come to you come to blocks where you can't get the information you want. So if you have decided that there's no alligators where you're going to stick your toes, you know you may go in a little deeper in it see if you can build it from there. So sometimes, um, unless you have a ton of money that you can throw at something, which we do not, um, at least it's not my money, so I don't throw it around, um, I will uh, feel my way through some things. Who I guess that's not a great answer, but... Oh, it's a fantastic answer. That's why I'm looking down because I'm scribbling it down going, oh, this is such good advice. Yeah, you stick your toes in, make sure there's no alligators, and then you can build it and think about not just throwing the money away, but feel your way through it and be successful. I mean, that's, that's perfect advice. When, Try when it. You, but you moved, uh, relocated a couple times in your life? Yeah. You oh, probably yeah. did homework of where you were going. And you didn't have all the answers. You tried to find out about the schools. You tried to find about the crime rates. You try to, you know, you look at the things you can control. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you take a leap of faith and get down there. Now, you might rent for a while before you buy to make sure you know the area. That's probably a smart thing. Um, so that's really the same way I like it. I've moved many, many times through my lifetime. And I've watched how my parents um, and Snap on Tools moving with them a whole bunch of times. Um, you make a couple mistakes and you, you, I won't do that again, right? You, so you do it a little differently the next time. But usually yeah. preparation and uh, will give you most of the answers you're looking for. Now, who are your mentors or who would you go to ask about some of this or get connections? Oh, mentors, uh, this, you asked me a couple of questions in one question. I know. I, I, I like to do that and just see where you take it. <laughs> You're a very good salesperson, I bet, because you want to know exactly what they're answering so you don't waste their time or yours. But it's a tactic I use to kind of make it broader for where you want to go. Well, it, from there was always different people that I worked with that I trusted, I liked, um, who put faith in me. So you always go back to those people to get their opinions first in a lot of cases. Uh, beyond that, now at this stage in my life and my career, um, don't have a ton of mentors beyond you know my family. Um, I rely a lot of my experience and just being inquisitive. Um, mm -hmm. I look for people I trust. Um, 
until, and I'll trust them typically until they prove otherwise and just keep, you know, keep moving, keep moving from there. I like to be collaborative. I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, I prefer to be around people who are smarter than me um, and that I can kind of go along for the ride. It helps out a lot. Um, at some point I get to claim what they know is my own. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, I'm listening when you're saying, well, I need to know this legal stuff. Who do I turn to? But it sounds like you turn to your corporate attorney yeah. and you can ask him to do or her some stuff. That, that um, is something when I was with Snap-on, I, I was really lucky. Part of my career, I was what they call an asset manager. And I spent a lot of time or I had a lot of access to corporate counsel. And, uh, we had some good ones. They're really good people, very highly ethical, um, great people. Hey, look, I'm in this situation, Wendy, what do you think? And I give them the, and so at that, you have enough of that goes on after a while, you just keep putting that in your memory and you know how to act in similar situations as you move forward. So I have a, a good ethical attorneys. I have a lot of respect for Okay. So that's interesting. So you'd lean on a lot. And then where would you go to find out about shipping? Uh, actually, I start there with the attorneys and look for leads. In this particular case, I'm working in Mexico. So we're starting with um, uh, the attorney, which I just agreed to a particular contract so I can get different information. I'll look from that point from leads, but most of your, for shipping, a lot of your uh, standard shippers have uh, do or uh, international work. So you can start with them asking questions, what are the fees, what are the insurances, and, and try to cover as many what if situations and then try to find somebody else who does something into that particular country, get information from them, what are their experiences, how long have they been doing it, you know, there, there's a lot to um, being inquisitive, once again. Okay, so it really is being inquisitive and leveraging your network. One person yep. will lead to There's the next. Thank you. Okay, all right. It's time to switch over to some personal questions to get to know you a little bit better. What's your favorite foreign word? Bueno. <laughs> and what's bueno mean to you? Good, very good. Uh, bueno is um, uh, it's. Growing up in San Jose, California, for a lot of my life, we had a lot of Spanish-speaking people. I've never mastered the language in any way, shape, or form, but um, that's uh, just fun. Friendly, fun. Okay, so it goes back to the smile and the bueno. <laughs> I love that. Well, how about your favorite vacation? Uh, I am really a terrible person to ask that. I don't, I, I'm the one who usually gives back all his vacation days because I don't take them. Um, no. I moved so many times uh, with my previous career with Snap-on that uh, you're always building something. And now I'm in that situation again, coming to Quinn. I'm really, I get a lot of pleasure out of build, building the business. Um, but I, I guess my favorite vacation, I like to go uh, fishing. Ah, yeah. Deep sea fishing. Um, uh, my son and I have done a, a couple uh, trips up into uh, Minnesota and a few places doing some uh, pike fishing, some di different things like that. Um, but uh, I think that's the outdoors. I like the outdoors. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I come from a family of fisher people and my sons love it. So 
I like to, you know, go hang in the woods when people are fishing, but I'm, I, I'm not very good at setting the hook. So uh, when, they were, when they were younger, I took them up to Vermont and hired a Orvis fishing guide to teach them fly fishing, and they loved it. And now they're 17 and 20, and, and really, the, David, the younger one's been going out um, ice fishing right now. Very so good. it's a very good hobby, and I love to see people doing it because it's the outdoors, and it's fun, and it's water. Pretty, pretty hard to uh, keep your mind on uh, more stressful things when you're either one hanging out with my grandkids is one of my favorite things to do. Right. Um, uh, two would be out fishing like that. It's just quiet. You can really charge your batteries, you know, in just a few days, you're ready to go out charging again. Yeah. Yeah. I used to drive them around before they could drive and I would bring a lawn chair and a uh, book and be happy as a clam sitting there in the woods reading or, you know, I might go for a hike and they were happy out fishing. <laughs> so I'm a fisher person support person. <laughs> um, how about your most rewarding cross-cultural experience? Mm, repeat that question to me one more time. I don't think You're I got it most rewarding cross-cultural experience? So a time when maybe you were in a culture or talking to other people where you embarrassed yourself or you got into a you know, belly laugh that made your face hurt or you just went, oh my gosh, people smile and are friendly around the world, but we just have different experiences. So something in that vein. Probably uh, Quebec City, Canada. Um, Pretty much every, but some people speak English. Usually they speak English if uh, they have the capability of taking, accepting your money. They're, they're pretty good at English then. Mm -hmm. But when I started just hiking around, just exploring little side roads and doing different things, I got myself in quite a few situations where um, I'm trying to fake French and that is not a good thing. Um, <laughs> I really butchered it pretty badly. Um, I had a wonderful time. People were mostly understanding with me. Only a few of them shut their door, <laughs> shut the door in my face. But, uh, <laughs> that was, it was very embarrassing. Um, the first mistake I made was trying to fake it. Um, but after that, uh, we had a lot of fun. It was a great, it was a great overall experience. How do you fake French? <laughs> well, obviously I didn't. <laughs> That's what, you think you know a couple words, and uh, uh, it isn't quite what you thought it meant. Uh -huh. or it wasn't taken the way you thought it would be taken, so we just we just let it go. Yeah, one of my favorite ones is Spanish, where people say, "Oh, you know, I'm embarrassado," which doesn't mean embarrassed. It means you're pregnant. So, well, I guess it can't be embarrassado. It has to be embarrassada. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Very nice. So, not all words are the same. Yeah. How about? Um, your favorite place to do business or favorite culture to do business, city to do business? Oh, that's, that's not a fair question because I do it in so many different places. Um, one of the friendliest places I've ever been has been uh, Oklahoma. Um, mm. I've enjoyed, oh, many different places. I, I tend to like places like Seattle, um, uh, bigger cities where there's all kinds of different cultures. Um, I enjoy that. Uh, Canada, Toronto was a blast. Um, there's people from all over the world and it was celebrated, not hidden, not, I mean, it, it was right out in the open. They had little neighborhoods that would be all one particular culture, one country's, you know, 
country of origin would be hanging out there. And it, it was really, really great. The restaurants were wonderful. Uh, just really enjoyed it. So I, you know, Toronto would have to say be right at the top of the list. Oh, that's good to know. All right, you're killing me. We're going to have to end on this and I got to go daydream about vacation because it's been a year now since I've been at home and I haven't had a vacation yet. So I love hearing this, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'm ready to travel. <laughs> Today is one of those days. So do you have any uh, final recommendations before I go daydream about vacation to Toronto? Uh, actually, no, I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk with you. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, I don't, uh, building a business and something like this, I, I think it's mostly just hard work, commitment, um, humility. Uh, it'll, it'll get you where you want to go. Just look for the, surround yourself with the best people you can. Well, thank you so much. That's excellent advice. And I can definitely tell that your hard work ethic comes through here. So thank you for being on today. The conversation was very interesting. So thank you listeners for listening and I hope you learned something. We really dug into to somebody who's building an organization and can already see where he's going and how he goes about learning. So I hope you got some helpful hints um, and go ahead and subscribe because we do this every week um, to talk to a different person who's in global marketing to get different viewpoints. And if you know of somebody else that is, you know, in sales for a manufacturer, um, forward this episode. It might uh, give them a lot of information. So we will see you next time uh, on the Global Marketing Show. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.